0: make a change for yourself tell others about your change and hopefully the message will spread
1: hello and welcome to today's episode of the food junkies podcast we have an exciting guest sarah kleiner otherwise known as carnivore yogi on facebook and instagram she also has a youtube channel she's an atlanta native and a meat-based yoga teacher. She's a self-healer and she uh, is a meditation support group leader. She's involved in volunteering for various autism support groups in her area. And today, we just really hope that you get to hear her message of hope and recovery. So welcome, Sarah. So Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. We've heard your story on a few different podcasts, but we were wondering because we believe our listeners would love to hear it too. Would you be willing to share your story for us?
2: Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's funny, like my whole platform is like carnivore yogi. And I feel like everyone wants to talk about what I eat and like the steak and this, that, and the other, but I honestly feel like my real, message and what I want to convey to people is the 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 story about addiction and recovery from addiction and it's more than just the food it's so much more than the food so I love love these types of conversations and I really appreciate you guys having me on thank you
0: so tell us a little bit about your story and like what made you go carnivore I've heard you speak a little bit um, about your recovery from alcohol as well so please just share and uh, we'll are excited to hear. Awesome. Well, I mean, I
2: feel like food was really my original drug of choice. Um, It was the most accessible thing. And, you know, I came from, I had a childhood where, you know, my parents were very dysregulated. There was a lot of drama, a lot of trauma, and food was there. Food was always there for me when everything was out of control. You know, I have one of my first vivid memories is just my parents. I knew something was very, very wrong, but I was too young to really know what it was and just losing myself in mashed potatoes. And uh, I was under 10. I know I was under 10 and just eating all of these potatoes to the point of just getting violently ill and so ill. I had never eaten to the point of just physically your body can't hold it and you throw up. And that's one of my earliest memories. And and now I look back on it. I have, you know, done a lot of therapy around it, um, talk therapy and EFT and all the all the therapies, you know, but I just see that as my nervous system was trying to Become balanced, and I was, and and food would do that for me temporarily. And so, as I got older, you know, more stuff happened with my parents. I uh, was about two hundred and twenty pounds when I was fourteen. After my dad left, I gained like a hundred pounds. I went from one hundred and twenty to two hundred and twenty very rapidly um, because that food was just such a big drug for me. And then things settled out a little bit. I was able to lose all the weight until he passed when I was 18. And that was very traumatic again, because even though we knew it was going to happen, it was just, it was very sad. And I gained hundred pounds again, very rapidly. I mean, within just like, (laughs) I feel like it was a few months. Um, And then again, things settled out and I stayed somewhat steady through my twenties. I found alcohol and partying and boys and fun. (laughs) you know? And then I met my now husband and got pregnant and I had no drinking and no partying and no nothing because I was pregnant and ended up getting to 235 pounds in my pregnancy. And so um, after I had my daughter, I made this decision. I was like, I'm going to lose this weight and I'm never going to lose hundred pounds again. I, no matter what, this is just not going to be a thing for me. And right about the same time I did join Weight Watchers and just went to the meetings every week with a good friend. And so I do believe in community support. I would go to the in-person meetings, you know, um, while I don't agree with Weight Watchers now, uh, and the point system, it was what I did, um, to lose that hundred pounds the last time. And I was just like, I never want to have to do this again. This is, this sucks. Still not really understanding that I had an underlying addiction problem that this, if you're continuing to gain and lose a hundred three times and you're like 30, you know, is 30 years old, you have an addiction problem. But yet I just wasn't ready to deal with that yet. It wasn't, I guess, painful enough for me yet. So yeah, I found yoga at the same time. And then my daughter was diagnosed with autism, uh, very young, and I kind of went off the deep end and I had was so hell bent on not eating to cope with my feelings that I discovered the joy of alcohol and literally became a full blown alcoholic, which that's in my family. I mean, we've got obese people, people who abuse food, and we have people who abuse alcohol who died in their early, mid 30s. You know, on both sides of the family, it's rampant on both sides. So I, I do think there's a genetic component besides just the trauma component. I think it's all uh, related. But you know, I, I was out of control with drinking. I couldn't cope with my feelings around my daughter, and then I was quit working because she was so much work that I had to stay home. So I, I threw myself into yoga and Alcoholics Anonymous. And those are the two things of probably why I did not die. Um, because I also began uh, when I had to quit drinking, abusing um, benzodiazepines and got, it's just like, it's like this, we could talk all day of like all the mm-hmm. stuff I've done to cope when I just mm-hmm. didn't want to deal with the real stuff. So I got addicted to pills while I was not drinking. And I considered that sobriety, even though it kind of really wasn't and just continued to really struggle, but I never put the weight back on. I actually got really, really thin. And since I was into yoga, um, I really think yoga is the reason I didn't die of some sort of overdose, to be honest with you. I actually did have a cardiac arrest um, before I got to AA. Yeah. Wow. yeah, Before I got to AA, when my daughter had first been diagnosed, I was drinking and mixing Percocet Because I broke my tailbone, and the doctors like you need this Percocet, and I was like, "Yes, I do." Um, Yeah, of course. And I, my heart stopped beating in my living room, and and my husband's eyes, uh, arms actually died, but it didn't stop me from drinking. I was drinking wine out of a soda can a few days later on the back porch. Mm -hmm. You know, it just I was that stubborn um, with my addiction. It took me to some very dark places. You know, fast forward four years ago, by the grace of God, I. Um, decided to quit relapsing, quit all the pills, quit, you know, get off of everything it was very difficult. Um, but I just, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it was no way to live, you know, to continue to just use pills and it wasn't working. That's the thing with addiction is you have to get to a place where it stops working. And, mm-hmm. All that stuff just stopped working. And I was thin. I looked good on the outside. I took great photos of myself in fancy yoga poses, whatever. But I was just a disaster on the inside because I was like a a chemist. (laughs) You know, like, let's take a little bit of this one. Let's take a little bit of that one. And just constantly managing my emotions with pills and alcohol. Um, So four years ago, October of 2016, I found my sponsor, found my home group started attending meetings daily, and I'm still going to that home group on Zoom now. I'm still connected to my sponsor. I have the pleasure of sponsoring other people, and I have not had any alcohol or drugs in that four years by the grace of God one day at a time. But you know, when I got sober four years ago, I gained 30 pounds (laughs) because out comes the food beast and everybody in recovery is like, you're not going to die from food. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get pulled over for, uh, they say you're not going to get pulled over fat, which is funny, but not funny, you know, because I found that I was starting to become just as miserable with the food and and with the weight. And I was like, I don't ever want to have to lose a hundred pounds again, but I'm going down that road and I am way out of control, you know? So then started the cleanses and the I started doing Ashtanga yoga. So I'd get up at like five in the morning every day and do Mysore, which is a very athletic type of uh, yoga. I was injured and in pain constantly. Thankfully, I did find meditation uh, right about the same time, Vedic meditation, which i I've done since I found it. I've done it every day, twice a day. For the last two and a half years. It's it's amazing. And I I strongly believe that finding the meditation practice was what started me down the road to food sobriety, to finding that food and, and realizing that food was just as much of a problem for me as the alcohol, as the drugs, because addiction is just all one thing. It you can't just say it is just one substance, it is all one thing, and it is all coming from the same place inside, from this broken place inside um, that I can't heal by myself. I mean, maybe some people can, but I've never been able to, because trust me, I have a bookshelf full of books that I recently just like threw away (laughs) of like diet books and self-help books. And like, God bless all these books I used to read. And every one of them, this was going to be it. This is going to be the one, this is going to be it. And honestly, the carnivore diet was kind of like that for me with food. It was like, okay, this is going to be it. This is my food freedom. And that so many people were talking about freedom from food, you know, the sugar addiction. And I did struggle. I did relapse in the beginning and I haven't been perfect, but I will tell you, um, I've had to, and I've had to continue my work in recovery, um, not only for alcohol and and the substances, but kind of take my recovery program and gear it on my, my food, my eating patterns, my eating habits, what I eat and addictive, knowing that some foods I just need to stay abstinent from, because if they have that kind of alcoholic component to it. But you know, here I am almost two years into doing carnivore diet. And, um, you know, just just it's all this healing journey. And it's, it's helped me tremendously with the food freedom and the food sobriety just to just to eliminate a lot of the foods that just triggered me, you know, um, so that's a lo- long story, but that's kind of where I'm at. No, that's lovely. And I think a lot of what you're saying, we're over here, like shaking our heads. Our
1: audience can't necessarily see that right now, but, but that, that we're shaking our heads because what you're saying, like it's one disease, all these kind of outlets and, and we can't just focus on one and the other, like they can't be these silos. We really have to take a look at all of it. So, I mean, is it safe to assume kind of your aha moment with like food also needed, like that was two years ago, or do you think that you knew food you knew food was a, was a drug for you or so to speak years ago.
2: Oh, years ago. I knew it years ago. And I would even, you know, when I was drinking, I would go on these cleanses and just, I was constantly messing around with food. Like my family, even though I've been carnivore for a couple of years, they don't, and my husband, they are just like, okay, whatever. Um, because, because I've done everything, like I've done every diet known to man, honestly. And that's like, I never saw that as a, a problem. I just thought, well, I'm just trying to figure out what works, you know? But yeah, I've always just, food's always been a thing for me since day one. I've always struggled with my weight, uh, body image, you know, it's just, it's just a thing that I have to, that I, it's my original addiction.
0: I just had a quick question, how you feel about the fact that, you know, you're in recovery from alcohol and pills. Do you really feel like having this food plan keeps, like amplifies your recovery of those other addictions as well? It
2: definitely helps um, as long as I don't get hungry, angry lonely tired, you know, I still fall. Prey to getting too hungry, even though I I do have a lot better balanced blood sugar and I don't deal with the crazy blood sugar roller coaster that I did when I would eat the sugar and carbs, but I still can get too hungry. And when I get too hungry, I'm susceptible to poor choices. And I have been like, you know, the thought of alcohol or just taking something to take the edge off, it creeps in when I am hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you know, those things, it's like, it's a real thing. So it does help. um, But it's not foolproof, if that makes sense.
0: So if you if there was anything that you could say to some of the people that started like the health professionals that started to work with you towards getting healthy, whether it was through eating disorder help, or I know when I sought help for anorexia. They often spoke about moderation. And I think I heard you say about someone telling you to have one small cookie a day. What would you say to those MDs and health professionals now knowing what you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely thank them for trying to be helpful and compassionate, but perhaps you know, try to educate them a little bit on addiction. And just like what I've been talking about with you guys, that it's just this one thing. And if someone has a problem with overeating uh, addictive processed foods, then they probably shouldn't try to do food replacements. They probably shouldn't try to work in moderation. I mean, I have a big issue with like the intuitive eating people. I know that they have a genuine want and desire to help people, but I don't believe that they are taking addiction into account and to tell people that there should be no off limit foods and that they're, that sounds great. I mean, yeah, sounds awesome. Love that idea. However, (laughs) um, for me, I just don't want to torture myself. It would, it's literally, and Dr. Rob Sivas, I'm sure you guys are going to talk to him at some point who I absolutely adore. Um, you know, he's like the food, it's like telling an alcoholic to have one beer at the end of the week after they've had a great week of not drinking. It's like, that's what you're doing with a, a a person who has an issue with food to tell them to have one cookie a day or to eat in moderation is the same thing as telling an alcoholic to have a drink, you know, just one drink, because you know what, if you truly have a food issue to have, like just me saying, have one cookie a day sounds like torture, Right. <laughs> just, just like, you know, saying have one drink a week. Oh that's hor— That's a horrible idea. And you know, when I did relapse on alcohol, because I did go four years without a drink in the very beginning, but I was still taking the pills. So I don't truly count it as true sobriety. It was sobriety from alcohol, but I was abusing and using pills during that time. But I did go four years without a drink in my mouth. And what happened was very subtle. I I quit going to meetings. I quit being connected to my recovery community. And I started to think that maybe alcohol wasn't an issue and I could drink Mm -hmm. like everybody else because I had had four years away from alcohol. I had a bad day that turned into a bad week that turned into a bad month, which turned into a bad six months was turned into let's have a glass of wine to deal with this because I was away from my recovery community and I started to think I could just moderate like everyone else because I hadn't mm-hmm. had a drink in so long. And you know, that one glass of wine, of course, the first night was a bottle of wine because who just has one glass of wine? That <laughs> sounds terrible. And I know that I'm this with, when I think about food, if I think about having a piece of a uh, cake or pie, I don't want one piece I want to try like every kind that there is. I want to have the whole pie. And I don't, I probably will like, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's like a runaway train. You are strapping yourself on the back of a runaway train and you don't know when it's going to stop or if it's going to stop. And that's what I would tell these professionals that they need to really understand a bit more of how addiction works, that it's not a moderation issue. It is just, and you, you've got to stay abstinence and you need support with that as well.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's, that's exactly what, you know, we're trying to convey to professionals. So we're interviewing professionals, we're professionals in the field trying to educate our colleagues, that kind of thing. But it's just so nice to hear somebody with a real life experience, who has such a following to just be able to say like, listen, your, your professionals that are helping you, if they're giving you this message, it sounds good to the disease, of course, but it's Mm -hmm. torture and it's not coming from the perspective of this could be addiction and addiction needs to be dealt with differently than, uh, you know, um, intuitive eating for sure. So I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit on a question because I feel like what you just spoke to really speaks to one of our questions that we were hoping to ask you a little bit later in the interview, but you know, I've heard you say, and and you just reiterated, you know, that you had this sobriety and then you were like, I'm tired of these meetings or I don't really want to go. I'm kind of over it. Um, And then it just kind of built and built and built. And pretty soon there's a year of back to using and, and that kind of thing before you got yourself back into a program. And so I'm wondering, do you feel like the same thing could happen with food for you? Or do you have any sort of like food recovery program specific or any, can you speak to that at all?
2: You know, I, I really do try to use my recovery program just for my whole life at this point. It's not just alcohol and I'm really blessed that I have a home group that I can go to and they know me really well. Um, I think this is what's really important in recovery is having a home group, having a sponsor, I'm sponsoring other people. So it's like this beautiful little family that I have that I feel like they actually know me better than my family. And, um, you know, I just I, I look at my whole life as like a continuum of that. And I can because I can get addictive and have alcoholic behaviors around food around shopping. I mean, I've put my family that I was just talking, I was just sharing in a meeting the other day because we were talking about the eighth and the ninth step is where you, um, you know, make your list of people you have to make amends to, and then you make your amends with a sponsor. Don't do this on your own. Don't do it when you first get sober. Oh my God. (laughs) But you know, after you've had some time of sobriety, you want to start to clean up the wreckage of your past. And I was talking about one of the things that I did when I was drinking in that one year was rack up like $40,000 of debt on God knows what. I don't even have anything to show for it. I have nothing to show for it. That was an alcoholic behavior. That was my disease running rampant. And so, yeah, I just I have to use my recovery program for everything because I just I do things very alcoholically. <laughs> You know? So I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what do you do for your emotional sobriety? I know you do yoga. Does meditation play into this? And do you use these tools to kind of help with those addiction outlets like shopping or, you know, internet? Is there other addiction outlets you've noticed?
2: Yeah, I do. Meditation is top for me. I, every morning I wake up and I meditate for 20 minutes. I don't even uh, look at my phone. I don't do any, I may go to the bathroom real quick. Usually I go pee real quick and then I jump back, sit up, prop myself up. So I'm not laying down, meditate for 20 minutes and pray, you know, do serenity prayer. If I can't think of anything else and just spend some quiet time before I look at anything on my phone, before I do anything at all. And that is paramount of my day. Every single day, that's a non-negotiable, you know, and yeah. And then I do usually an afternoon meditation for 20 minutes because the the type that I do, we meditate twice a day. It's just part of the practice. I do that. Um, my recovery meeting every morning at nine 30, no matter what, nothing gets in the way of that. I'm on zoom on the recovery meeting at least five days a week. And yeah, I mean, I just try to healthy emotion management through, I have a therapist. Um, I don't see him. I was seeing him every week for the first two years, this last time that I relapsed and got back in now it's, and then it was like every month and now it's probably once every couple months, but it's a, it's a continuum that I contact and talk with him as needed. Um, I have a sponsor. I run stuff by her. She's just like a friend, a good friend, you know, that we, we, I talk about stuff with her. So I don't, I don't let myself get isolated because if I'm isolated, that's when the disease starts telling me stuff and I start getting delusional and I'm like, I start believing all the stuff in my head. And so, I just have a lot of stuff. I have the meditation. I have um I take little breaks in the day to just breathe. Um my recovery meetings. I will get people, my sponsees will call me every now and then with just like drama going on in their life, which is always a welcome distraction because one thing I've learned in recovery is like if I sit around all day like worrying about how I feel, I'm going to be miserable. Like it's dumb. You can't feel good all the time, even though your disease tells you that you're supposed to feel awesome, amazing, better, best, or like dog crap. There's only like, here and here like way up high and way down low is how you're supposed to feel. So getting outside of myself and trying to help others being of service, and then looking at my life like that as well, when I start feeling resentful of like, I have to do this, that, and the other. And it's like, you get to be of service for your family and think about all the years you were absent because of your addiction, whether it was food, alcohol, pills, whatever you were in that addicted place of just worrying about how you felt all the time and trying to manage how you felt all the time. And so emotional sobriety for me, looks like a lot of that. And then when I get into that space as best as I can, I'm trying to be of service to my family, to other people in recovery. And, um, yeah, that's how I, I try to do things now.
0: That's
1: lovely. And it sounds like, I mean, if I can just kind of piece it together for our listeners too, right? It sounds like obviously you didn't do all of this at once. It it just took some years of building, right? There was foundation and then layers upon layers of like, what's next? What's next? Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So, so if you could speak again to the people listening as to what do you think they could be doing you know, for for little to no cost, for free in their own homes, what can listeners be doing for their recovery from addiction outlets?
2: Yeah. I mean, finding a recovery meeting online, I think is really great. We've had people that come into our home group now that are brand new sober because we've all been in a pandemic since March and uh, people still need to get sober during this time. So I believe that there's tons of resources for all sorts of addictions now, and getting a home group getting a group of people you can connect with on a very regular basis who get to know you and you get to know them that i think has to be paramount for people at home there you know and then doing some things to regulate your nervous system what whatever works for you if it's meditation or different breathing exercises, gentle yoga, you know, walking outside, just starting to have things in their life routines in their life where they're taking care of themselves in a positive way.
0: So for the people that follow you online, do you run like support groups? And like, how do you find that benefits people's recovery when you work with them one on one? Or what does that look like?
2: Yeah. I've actually just started in the last couple of months running a Facebook group. I did one in November. I did one, I'm doing one right now in December and it's kind of evolving to next level. I'll be doing another one starting on January 4th where it's going to be a bit more structured, but what I'm doing with them is just basically um, providing them with a lot of resources. I'm doing a video every morning where I just talk about a specific topic. And then I'll usually provide either a video or a podcast that goes way more in depth if they want to expand on that topic. And it's to do usually with um, like healthy emotion management, the nervous system, the vagus nerve, that sort of thing. So I'm going to keep doing that in January. But what I've also done is I've recorded all these different um, techniques that they can do the videos are like 2 or 3 minutes long and i've separated them into units so i have a whole unit of just breathing techniques. so, you know, it's just breathing techniques then i have a whole unit all about meditation and i teach them a very simple meditation technique that's based on the technique that i do. it's not the exact technique that i do because i'm not authorized to teach that just yet, but it's a it's based on it so they can start right away and start doing it. And then I have another unit that has like some guided meditations and I just have as many uh, resources for them as well. So I'm in there every day, you know, doing a video, talking about a topic and then providing a resource. And then I've got breathing meditation and then the guided meditations. And I also do a trauma sensitive yoga on uh, Saturdays with them that they can come to on zoom or they can watch the replay. I always post the replay, but I'm also trained in Trauma sensitive yoga. I've been teaching that for many years now. So I teach in a way that allows you to kind of be into listen, learn how to listen to your body in a non triggering, trauma sensitive way. Um, very gentle, very accessible to beginners. Um, and then I do two live streams a week, Monday and Friday. So I do, I've been doing a lot of work in these coaching groups, but it's been, awesome. It's been really, really awesome. And I've been connecting It's mostly women. I do have some guys, but the guys never say anything. They're kind of like hanging out. Um, but then they'll private message me and be like, I want to join, you know, I had like three of the guys private message me. Like, I'm going to join again for December. Is that okay? I didn't even say anything or participate. I'm like, "It's fine. Like, I, you know, I would love to have you if you're, if it's helping you, you don't have to come in you don't have to participate, but I guess they're still watching the videos and, and kind of taking it all in. So that's cool too. But, um, it's a new thing I've been doing and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, And it's kind of making me want to pivot my platform more and more to start working with these these deeper issues when people do decide that they want food sobriety.
0: Do you find when people first come to see you and talk to you that they're focused on the food and like what they can eat and what Mm -hmm. they should eat and what meat they should eat and how often, how much fat, do you find that? And then how does that progress for the people you work with?
2: Yeah, it's very, very common and most people that are attracted to me want macros and metrics and how much and what time and when and ha- like, oh, but I get it. <laughs> I get it. Cause I did it yeah. too. Like yeah. I did the same thing and I was obsessed with getting everything perfect. And so I, I have a lot of compassion and love, but at some point they realized that, Oh, this is another form of my addiction and that's kind of where you know i lead them gently down that path through my daily morning talks and then the resources that i give them after the talk and a lot of people are just like oh wow i did not realize that me obsessing over macros and counting and worrying about this grass fed meat versus that meat versus what kind of fat and how many ounces that that was just another form of addiction, but I'm gentle with them and compassionate. And I'm like, Hey, it's okay. I did it too. Like, it's very common. It's kind of maybe the last little thing you can freak out about. And then we can start doing the real work. You know, I think
1: all of that, we're laughing, we're smiling again, people can't see that, but just being food addiction professionals ourselves, like that is like, the least favorite part of our job. And, and I don't mean to speak for you, Clarissa, but I'm pretty sure you share that sentiment, right? Because it's the same thing. It's like, because it's about the food, but it's not really about the food. It's about all the other things. And it sounds like your programs, the thing that I'm hearing about your programs that I'm loving is that you are reconnecting people to their body. And we are so right. Like disconnected from the neck up when we're in this disease, right? We're like, like you were saying earlier, just like, we're so focused on how do I feel? And I don't want to feel that and it's like this ping pong or the, um, pinball, right? Like back in the day, it's like ping, ping, ping. Like we're just trying to keep it between the lines because we're told, don't feel this, don't feel that. And it's either like, we feel like poo or we feel really excited. So I really, really, I'm excited to see those programs grow for you. And I'm excited for it to be a resource that I can refer people to. So I want to, I wanted to just shout that out there. And then what you were saying about like the people getting kind of hyper-focused on macros and metrics and when to eat and what to eat and that, I just want to do it. Perfect. I've heard you say before that you suspect in the keto and carb worlds that there's probably food addiction or carb addiction, sugar addiction, whatever we want to call it, lurking. And if you could speak, right, if you could plant that seed, if you could speak to the brains that maybe aren't quite there yet, those folks that aren't quite there yet, what would you say to them?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is a big, big issue that, and I've kind of been alluding to it a little bit more and more in my videos and talking about it more and more as the years progress that we're using these diets as another avoidance tactic, you are not dealing with the real stuff. And it's going to pop up in some other way. You know, maybe you can adhere to carnivore. um, But you empty your bank account, you know, you go on Amazon and buy everything or, or you gamble, you know, or you have affairs or you're, you're still um, addiction, you're still in your addiction, but it's just popped up in a different way. And you can also use these diets to be hyper-focused, and that can be an addiction. Tracking your macros every single day and having to hit X fat grams and X protein. Um, and then I see it really bad with fasting. I got into fasting my first year of carnivore, and it very... Was, very detrimental to my hormones and my adrenals. It was a total disaster. Um, And I got addicted to it because you get this very big rush of adrenaline and cortisol. You haven't eaten for three days. You get that quick gratification of like losing a pant size and it's like exhilarating. And then you've got people behind you like, yay, fasting's great, autophagy, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm just like, if you are a food addict, don't dip your toe in that water because it is a bad idea for so many reasons. Number one, for what I just talked about that you'll get addicted to it. And number two, you will more than likely end up in binge behavior. And it may not be with the sugar and the carbs if you're lucky, um, if you're lucky, but you could find yourself. And I see this all the time. I see people that go and eat four or five pounds of meat. We're going to go to Fogo to chow and have a great time and just eat and, eat and eat and eat. And then every time they go out to eat, they have to do a 48 hour fast or a 72 hour fast. And it's weekly. I'm like, you don't, you shouldn't be doing this to your body. I can understand if you will do a fast, like once every few months or quarterly, but if you're going out to eat and you're eating this big meal of four or five pounds of meat, and then you're fasting for 48 or 70, that's, you're, you're still in that addiction cycle, you know? So it's, it's like, it's so not cut and dry and it's so nuanced and I can just sit back with a bird's eye view and look at this stuff. But I'm still susceptible to, you know, to those behaviors, I have to really watch myself. And I have to continue to question my motives as I go through this. But yeah, there are, a lot of eating disorders going on in the carnivore and keto community. And I don't want to come down on anybody or call anybody out or anything like that. But there's a lot of eating disorders and, um, they're prominent people too, with a lot of followers and a lot of people looking to them who want to look like them and want to be like them. And I'm like, yeah, this person is clearly to me where I'm sitting suffering from anorexia, suffering from bulimia suffering and they're suffering. That's why I, have compassion and love for them, but it is, it's a real problem. And and a lot of people, like I said, are looking to these people and like, why am I not that skinny? And why do, and I'm like, because you're <laughs> just like, oh my God, this is painful. Um, So yeah, sorry for the long tangent.
0: <laughs> no, no. I think that's so important. What's your relationship like with the scale? And how do you deal with clients who are hyper focused on a number on the scale equaling progress?
2: I stay away from the scale. Honestly, this year, I tried to start weighing myself because um, I did gain some weight during the pandemic. And I was like, Okay, well, if I'm going to lose the weight, then I need to weigh myself. So I have like that weekly progress of weight loss and this, that and the other. And it didn't, it just, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it because it just messed with my head too much. And I would love to get to a place where I can have a healthy relationship with the scale and the scale can just be the scale, but I'm not there yet. And I find a lot of people hyper-focus on it, weigh themselves all the time and just get too emotionally involved in it the only time I really weigh myself now is if I go to the doctor and then I even like turn around and try not to look, but then they always like give you that report that you go home with that has the number and you're like, damn it, I wasn't going to look, but here it is. So (laughs) that's like kind of the only time that I consciously do weigh myself because I've just, for me, it just, I don't, I don't like it. It doesn't help. It doesn't, mentally make me feel better. And I just like to gauge my progress on how my clothing fits um, and how comfortable I am, you know,
0: in my clothing, really, that's what that's what I do as a metric. I just had a question about how you came to the food plan that you have today. And if you think it will stay the same, are you flexible with it? And how some of your like, do you listen to your body now because you feel like your hormones are maybe more regulated? And how does that affect you know the ch- what you choose to implement in your food plan.
2: Yeah, it's been a journey with the carnivore diet. I mean, people who've watched me have seen me be all over the map, you know, like I said that first year I did a lot of fasting because I thought that's what I had to do to maintain my weight. Um and then I was also doing a very high protein, not enough fat version of the carnivore diet and then I lost my cycle that first year. And when you lose your cycle, that is a sign that you're typically just not eating enough, really. And so I pivoted right about February of this year. I got hooked up with a friend of mine, her name's Stephanie Keto person, and she uh, was like, "You've got to get your body back into you've got to be in ketosis. If you're gonna be without carbs, you need to start eating within thirty minutes of waking." Um, stop doing all the fasting, you're wrecking your hormones, you're downregulating your thyroid, which was true. All the stuff was going with my body that was showing me that it was just like I was pushing it too hard. So I do carnivore very different than most people. I do eat three meals a day. And if I'm hungry, then I will eat a snack. Um, And that includes before bed too. If I want, if I'm hungry, I can trust my body because I'm really just eating meat and fat right now. I ate butter, I ate beef suet, I eat, uh, beef fat. I know at this point that I can trust if I'm hungry at nine o'clock at night, I will go in my freezer and have a couple ounces of like beef fat because I love eating frozen beef fat or beef suet. And that's working for me right now. And I don't follow the rules about no snacking and no fasting or, or, fasting and all that. I do stay in a high fat approach for a while. I was doing like 90% fat, 10% protein to get my hormones to start working. Now I'm ovulating regularly. I have a a regular cycle. I feel so much better. And so again, I know I can trust my hunger and, you know, I am thinking next year of trying some food reintroductions, uh, that are still keto low carb um, just just out of curiosity and I also unlike what a lot of people say about vegetables, I loved vegetables. <laughs> I really do enjoy vegetables. I love asparagus, collard greens. Um, I've played around with a little avocado this year and dealt with histamine issues. And so I'm doing a gut healing protocol right now with my friend nutrition with Judy. We're doing some probiotics and some glandulars and some things to keep on getting my hormones in a good place, getting my gut healed because I do want, I believe next year to try to go a little bit more keto. Um, in my approach. I'll still keep the name carnivore yogi because it kind of stands for challenging dogma of you can't eat meat and do yoga. And I feel like that's just my thing is like, I have to keep challenging dogma, like wherever I go, I'm challenging dogma in the carnivore community right now. So if people are like, why are you being so I'm like, well, don't you know, my name is carnivore yogi. Like, it's kind of like what I do to question, question the norm a little bit. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking for 2021 is trying some different foods, uh, still staying away from all sugar processed foods, probably won't go to any fruits except for perhaps olives, avocados, as long as it kind of stays on that uh, keto scale. That's, that's what I'm, I'm planning for now could shift and change, but that's what I'm, that's what I think right now.
1: Yeah. And I would say, keep the SAS for sure. Um, <laughs> I love it. So to speak to that, it sounds like one, you haven't made changes without some sort of professional help or the help of your sponsor. And also that you've gone slow and you've remained open-minded and flexible.
2: Yes. I'm doing my best to just remain open-minded and take things slow and not be in a hurry, which is really hard for an addict because we want results yesterday. We want everything to happen overnight. We want, you know, 30 years of sobriety in 30 days (laughs) and everything that comes along with that. And it just doesn't work that way. So it's hard for me, but I've had to learn really to just be patient with myself
0: I heard you mention uh, Dr. Saivez as being somebody who works kind of with the food addiction recovery, definitely carb addict doc. Is there anyone else you think listeners should be checking out in the world of food addiction recovery that you listen to and that really helped you as well? I love, and I'm sure you guys have probably talked to them, uh, Keto Mary
2: on Instagram. And Jessica Reynolds, they're both really awesome ladies. They've both been on my show. I love listen. I feel like when I talk to them that I could talk to them for like days without stopping, (laughs) you know, Um, because we really just understand that addiction story and they have really dealt with it with the food more so than I think myself. Um, They've really, really dealt with that food addiction in a positive way. So I love both of them. Dearly, if we're talking about uh, food addiction. So yeah, those are my my top two right now that I that are
0: coming to top of mind. Awesome. We may have to get them on the show then. Oh yeah. <laughs> so where should our listeners find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram.
2: It's at carnivore.yogi. There's a dot because someone took carnivore yogi and then they never used it. Um, <laughs> and then on YouTube, you just go on YouTube and type in carnivore yogi and my video as my channel will come up it'll pop up and that's usually the best way to get a hold of me i interact with people over on instagram if you send me a message i do my best to answer over there and yeah that's and there's probably link there are links on my instagram to get on my newsletter if you want to join any of my upcoming groups for next year
1: Excellent. And that's great. I'm going to go. I do. I do follow Keto Mary and coach Jessica um, on Instagram as well. And they have been on my radar to also get on the show. So thank you for the, for the endorsement. I think, I think that's a great next move for sure. So this is kind of a question we've been asking all of our guests. So just wondering if you could tell a younger version of yourself something about food addiction or or food recovery or recovery in general, you know, thinking back to that little girl at less than 10 years old, or maybe even at 20 when, you know, things were alcohol and pills or whatever, what would you say to her now?
2: Gosh, that's a great question. You know, first I would try to let her know she was loved and she was worthy and she was good enough and, you know, that there was no... There was no secret to life that everybody else had that she didn't, because I feel like that's how I always felt as somebody was always searching, like everyone else has the secret to life and I do not. And that these things that you're doing to yourself are not going to give you what you're looking for. They're not going to make you happy um, at all, period. They're not going to bring you what you want in life. So that's what I'm thinking right now. I would say to her, there's probably more if I was given
0: more time to think about it, but yeah, that's, what's coming to my mind. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Is there anything else you want to share, Molly?
1: Yeah. I mean, that would just be my question is any last burning thoughts. Is there anything we didn't ask you about that you would love to be able to share to listeners in the food addiction, food addiction recovery kind of world?
2: Yeah. I mean, just to, to not give up. Um, on yourself and don't let yourself get so isolated. Don't let yourself get alone because that is the biggest thing for me in recovery that I have to continue to do is not get so alone and not get so um, isolated and continue to connect with people, continue to seek out people. Even if you're like scared, you can go on, This it, is the internet's a good and a bad thing right now. Um, But you can go and you can listen to Dr. Um, Saivas, you can go and follow Mary and follow Jessica, and they um, follow me and, and just listen to some of this stuff, start immersing yourself in some of this stuff to take away some of that loneliness and some of that isolation. And know that there is hope. You know, I like I said, I had cardiac arrest and died, and I shouldn't be here today. That was in 2009, that that happened, I should not be here but by the grace of god you know and just taking this stuff one day at a time and screwing up a hell of a lot definitely not doing anything perfectly but i'm here and i'm in a position now to share experience strength and hope so addiction's not a death sentence and it can actually mm. be something that you are able to give back and as a gift to this world to other people who are struggling you can be in that position one day to help others and to get outside of yourself and and to to listen to them and for me that's the biggest gift of addiction is all the amazing people that are in my life now as a result of my disease, um, that I have the pleasure of calling, you know, my second, my, my second family who know more about me (laughs) than my real family. And that's a blessing. That's just a true blessing of, of all of this. So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Like, honestly, I just could relate to absolutely everything you said today. And it really, I never thought I would see addiction as a gift or, you know, something that would make me happy to wake up every day. But it honestly, because of it, I live my life so much better. And mm-hmm. so many things have become possible that in that old life that I used to live before I addressed it, never would have been able to achieve. So thank you so much for all your inspiration and motivation.
2: Well, yes. thank you for having me. It's, awesome. it's so fun to talk about this stuff. Like, I, like we were talking about the micros and macros and metrics and all that just gets to be like so... Yeah. <laughs> redundant. Like, this is the real stuff right here. This is absolutely the yeah. real stuff. So, I, I appreciate the conversation and, and being able to connect with you guys in this way.
0: Yeah. Thank you
1: again so much.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group. I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.